So a nursery does help parents be a little bit at ease and be able to concentrate on the message more than trying to have their child sit still when I may not even notice them moving. But we parents definitely do, amen. And um, so um, if you'd like to serve in, in that capacity, um, let, let, let me or my wife know, and maybe we'll have a um, meeting um, about that and everything. Um, Matthew chapter 5, if you haven't turned there yet. And uh, we're just beginning two new series today. Um, we start a new series in the Sunday school hour, 10 o'clock. Um, it's an expositional series through Second Peter. Uh, it's about attributes of growing in grace. About growing in our spiritual walk. Um, how many of you admit that you need to keep growing spiritually? Anybody? Probably all of us. We want to be growing spiritually. When we're not growing, we're what? We're wilting, we're decaying, we're losing our joy. And so it's important to grow in our walk. And um, the first chapter of Second Peter deals specifically, the whole thing deals with spiritual growth. But the first chapter deals with attributes of spiritual growth and the basis for our faith. And the second chapter deals with um, false teachers, of warnings about false teachers and, and some characteristic traits of them as well. And the third chapter is about um, the coming, the return of the Lord. And, um, and it was main thing, focus for us about growing in grace. Um, so if you haven't came for the Sunday school hour, I encourage you to come. Uh, about growing, amen? About growing in the Lord, growing in Christ. And for our new Sunday morning service, um, for this service, um, we're, we're doing a new series on things that are not really so. Um, there are some things that is co- commonly taught, cliche, in the Christian circles or... Um, um, not necessarily by everybody, but, but sometimes by some. Sometimes it's just a small group, um, sometimes a large group, um, where we sometimes maybe believe some things that are not really so. Or maybe there's some of them, there's partial truths, there's, there, 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 there's part of it that's right, but there's part of it that's misunderstood. Um, for example, you know, many times if um, a Christian talks about something um, that, you know what, this is wrong, this, this is sinful. Something the Word of God clearly condemns is immoral, is sinful. That many times another Christian will say, well, we can't judge. You're not supposed to judge. Um, Jesus said, judge not. Um, now, did Jesus say that? Yes, Jesus did say, judge not. But he was not me, you know what, let's not ever make any judgment. Let's not ever exercise discernment. There's all kinds of scriptures that say discern between the wicked and the righteous, between him that serve of God and him that serve of them not. The Bible talks about if someone be a brother. Okay, it talks about okay, the fornicators in the world. You know what? Um, we're not supposed to separate from them. We're hoping to bring people to Christ. But the Bible talks about if one be a drunkard or be a fornicator and they're part of the body to... Um, have no fellowship with them, that you're supposed to help them come to repentance, not to be living in their sin like it's okay. And, and, and so that's making a judgment call. That's using discernment. The Apostle Paul said um, he did a spiritual judge of all things. He did a spiritual judge of all things. So, is that a contradiction? Jesus said judge not. Paul said... Um, um, judge, he did a spiritual judge of all things? No, not a contradiction at all. The very same chapter Jesus said, judge not, he said, beware of false prophets. Beware of false teachers that come to you as wolves in sheep's clothing. And he tells them, by their fruits he shall know them. You know what? That takes a judgment call, doesn't it? You're going to see their fruit. And you're making a judgment call. What Jesus was talking about, see, I'm getting ahead of myself. This isn't even today's message. But, uh, but, but it's for those that maybe they couldn't make it Sunday school, so you still get two messages. I mean, but, um, Jesus was speaking to the hypocrite. Someone that is um, living immorally and then calling someone else out and saying, you know what, what you're doing is wrong. 
says to get the beam out of your own eye. Then you can see clearly and help your brother get the mow out of his eye. So we're supposed to sharpen one another. We're supposed to be a help to each other. We're supposed to provoke one another into love and unto good works. Not provoke to anger. Amen? So when Jesus said, judge not, it's not that we're supposed to say, oh, everything's okay. You know what? We're never supposed to judge. The Bible teaches the opposite. So this is what this series is going to be about. Things that Christians sometimes commonly say, but things that aren't really so. They're not completely biblically accurate. And one today going to be talking about is, um, are Christians never supposed to defend themselves? Are they never supposed to defend themselves? Are they not supposed to defend their family if someone comes and attacks them? Um, are they never supposed to defend themselves if they're verbally um, attacked? The reason many Christians would say you're not supposed to defend yourself is because Jesus said to turn the other cheek. That basically just let them violate you um, is what they'll kind of say. You know what? Just, just get defeated. It's not what Jesus was teaching. And so, um, common teaching is we're not supposed to ever defend ourselves since Jesus said to turn the other cheek. And um, why people maybe sometimes would think of Christianity um, as being for sissies or for wimps. And that's not the case at all. Jesus was no wimp at all. Now, he humbled himself. Think about that. He was God. And he manifests himself in the flesh. What humility that takes. Man, he's God, and then he came to be like us, to go through the pain, the death of bearing our sins, and he answered back not. You know, he didn't fight back. He had that humility. You know, the world knows that Christians generally are not going to fight back the same way as others would. You know, you'll see all kinds of mockeries of Christ. You'll see all kinds of things of burning the Bible or, or crumbling the Bible up. But man, do that to a Koran. Write the, draw a picture of the Prophet Muhammad. That's a no-no. People are in fear because they know the Muslims are going to retaliate. And they know we Christians, generally, you know what, sure, we may get upset but we're not going to go shoot somebody about it. We're not going to go behead anybody. If that's what, what they call us is wimps, so be it. What, what, what do we want to be called? Terrorists? It's like, come on. But a common teaching is often that we are not supposed to ever defend ourselves since Jesus said to turn the other cheek. Um, go ahead and turn to Matthew 5, verse 38. It says, Ye have heard that it have been said, an eye for an eye. And a two for a two. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that ask of thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not um, thou away. And so people will take this verse about um, turning the other cheek to say that we're never supposed to defend ourselves. And many times they'll say Jesus never defended himself. And they'll quote scriptures like in Mark 15, verse 3. It says, And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. So we see that Jesus here didn't defend himself against lies, against false witnesses. We see he didn't use his power that he could have used to destroy those that arrested him. So in this one point, Jesus did not defend himself. And so people will make the assumption, Jesus never defended himself, so neither should we. It's what they'll say. They'll say Christians are supposed to follow Jesus' footsteps and never defend themselves. That they are to be pacifists. That they're never to fight back regardless of the circumstances. 
Some religious groups that would hold to this would be the Quakers, um, the Jehovah Witnesses, um, um, who are against fighting back, defending yourself against military service. Um, and the Mennonites um, are against it as well. And um, I talked to a Mennonite um, a few years ago. It was when I first, first got here. Um, and, and about a month after being here. And um, he was talking about how cruel our military is, that no Christian should ever serve in the military, and um, that Jesus said you turn the other cheek. And so I said, really, is that how you understand it? And he said, yeah. And so I asked him, I go, so if someone was coming in, trying to break into your home, and trying to kill your wife and your children, you're not going to fight back? He said, No. We're supposed to turn the other cheek. That is a gross misunderstanding of the scripture. And my wife's probably glad not to be his wife. (laughs) Hopefully for more reasons than just that. Amen. (laughs) And so some take it to the ultimatum that it's wrong for a Christian to serve in the military. And, you know, you look throughout history, it kind of is an evolving issue, um, and that's to be expected. You know, a Christian probably couldn't, in clear conscience, serve on a Nazi Germany military where they're just executing many Jews and other Christians. You know, that would probably be where, by your conscience, you would want to object to being in that kind of military. An army that is just always committing genocide, going into villages and and just wiping everybody out for no due cause, but just to maybe take their property. People, as Christians, throughout history, would not want to be a part of it. And as were some of even our Baptist forefathers and Anabaptists, and where even the Mennonites come from, many of them stood against being in the military based on the countries they were living in. But someone that's in in a good country, a country of freedom, of liberty, there is, and even many times even in a corrupt government, there's nothing that's sinful with serving in the military. We see that even um, Joseph serving under Pharaoh, a pagan ruler, And yet, even in his position, he honored and glorified the Lord. What does Scripture context really teach us? Looking at the totality of Scripture, well, we're not going to look at everything. That we'd be here all day and tomorrow and all year. But the scriptural context, you know, Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and love and favor rather than silver, and gold. Good name. Rather to be chosen. Well, if someone is going around lying about you, you know what? There may be a times where, you know what? You don't answer back. You know what? People know you. People aren't going to believe the lies. Well, you know, what if some people start to believe the lies? Are you supposed to just keep letting them believe the lies because you're not supposed to defend yourself? Oh, it's not what the Bible teaches. A good name is rather to be chosen than even wealth. And so there are appropriate times where it would be appropriate to defend your honor, to defend your name. And Jesus did on many occasions answer his critics. We'll just go a one right here in the same book of Matthew. Turn to chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 10. It says, And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at me in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eat of your master with publicans and sinners? I said, the question. Why is your master, man, look at these ill repute people that he is hanging around with. He's eating with publicans. That would be like you dining out with some IRS agents. Okay, okay some tax collectors. You know what? They're always looked in disdain. And sinners. 
You know, he talks about that. And so here they are trying to mar Jesus' testimony because of the kind of people he is hanging around. But when Jesus heard that, he just remained silent. Well, it's not what it says, is it? Okay? He said, but when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I have, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So here Jesus is defending his motive and his purpose. He's not going, coming out with here just to hang out with them and booze it up with them. He came because they're sinners. They need to come to repentance. They're sick. They need to be made healthy spiritually. So here is a case where Jesus gives an answer in defense of what he is doing. We see that Paul defended himself when he was brought before the government. When, 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 when people got tired of him preaching in the name of Christ and, and they arrested him. In Acts 22.1, it says, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. Paul didn't just say, Okay, you know what? You've arrested me. Do whatever you want. If you want to execute me, execute me. If you want to put me in a dungeon, just leave me there. No, he gave a defense. Jesus instructed the disciples to prepare to defend themselves if need be. Turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, verse 36. Then said he unto them, But now he that have a purse, let him take it, and likewise his scrip, and he that have no sword... Let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me having in. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. Here, Jesus is mostly his point is to say that, you know what, dangerous times are coming. But Jesus told them to arm themselves. To, to get some swords. It wasn't against having weapons or, or of ever defending yourself. Now, Peter probably remembered these words very clearly when he tried to strike off the soldier's head. And he again is there. And then Jesus ended up healing the man. And then Jesus did say, He that liveth by the sword shall die by the sword. Now, you know what? Here's just a small group, and here is the massive army. No, you probably aren't going to be able to defend yourself in this kind of situation. So we're not to be living our lives in a constant fear like that. But Jesus did not say it was wrong to be able to defend yourself. God commanded Israel to go to war at times. See, as it is 15-3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts have he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. So we see even the Lord is called a man of war. That there are times of just cause um, to go to war. Now there's always, usually, there's someone that is in the wrong for going to war. But there's often a country that is defending either themselves or they're defending others. And over and over we see God commanding Israel to go to war. Now, nowhere in Scripture does God ever call the church to go as an entity to go to war. He never says, okay, Napa Vine Baptist Church, let's go to war against all these people. Okay? The church is never at war. We are focused on proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, that does not mean that Christians cannot serve in the armed forces. That Christians cannot serve in the military. But that is a church. We're never at war. But sometimes it's the nation, the nation we live in. Someone's coming to attack us. 
it is not forbidden um, to defend yourself, to defend your home, to defend your nation. Jesus' command you turn the other cheek is not a caution against self-defense. He told his disciples to arm themselves. Paul repeatedly defended himself verbally before others. Neither does Jesus mean that we should simply stand there and just take a beating. They're like, okay, you know what, okay, here I am, just beat me. That's not what Jesus is saying. You know, there were many times when they tried to murder Jesus. They tried to arrest him. They took up stones. Jesus didn't just sit there and say, okay, come do it. He went away. He would, he would, he would escape. And so, for his time had not yet come. It should be obvious to any that to permit murder when one could have prevented it is morally wrong. To allow a rape to occur when one could have hindered it is evil. To watch an act of cruelty to children without trying to intervene is morally inexcusable. Any man who refuses to protect his wife and children against a violent intruder fells his family morally. We see in the scripture certain military officers are mentioned respectably. Acts 10.22 says, And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a Roman-type soldier, a just man and one that fear of God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews. They weren't said, Oh, look at this wicked, vile man, because he serves in the armed forces for Rome. A centurion came to Jesus in Matthew 8.8. 8. And answer said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant will, shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth. And to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, that means truly, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Here Jesus is committing a Gentile who the Jews hated, despised. They hated each other. The Gentiles hated them. The Gentiles were considered filthy because of their um, paganism and, and being against God. And, and the Jews didn't want anything to be with them. And Jesus says about this Roman soldier, that he had not seen such great faith, that here this man believes that Jesus doesn't even need to walk to his house to heal him, but that just with his words that his son would be healed. And Jesus said, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. He wasn't condemned for being a soldier. It was actually praised that his faith was so great. Another time, Jesus tells soldiers to not do any violence um, unjustly. And also, he tells them to be content with their wages. He doesn't tell them to go quit and find another occupation. So the question comes, what did Jesus mean when he said to turn the other cheek? If he didn't mean Christians were supposed to be weak, effeminate, and you'd be easily um, taking advantage of. Again, Matthew 5.38 talks about an eye for an eye, a two for a two. Jesus said, you have heard this is how it was. How it was. And Jesus isn't saying that this no longer applied either. But what he is dealing with, he is transitioning what people have misunderstood. An eye for an eye, a two for a two um, in ancient societies was to help protect someone from being punished more severely than the crime deserved. That, you know, if a child maybe stole a cookie out of the jar, it wasn't that man, they're going to be executed. Many times in ancient societies, there, the punishment would be much greater than the crime was. And so an eye for an eye, a two for a two meant that, you know what, what the crime is, that's how they should pay it back. If someone stole, then that thief is supposed to restore unto them, um, sometimes fourfold, sometimes sevenfold, 
And so the punishment was to give back and give more to them. Not necessarily to die. If someone committed murder, then eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, then they should go for the death penalty. If someone commits murder, that they were to be put to death, that is not greater than their crime. That is equal to their crime. But what the Jews end up happening, the people end up taking is what was belonged to the civil, belonged to the court system, the judicial system, um, to the police force that they, 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 that they would kind of have back then. What belonged is a government thing end up becoming a thing where it meant personal revenge. The Bible never meant an eye for an eye meant that, man, if someone makes me upset, that I need to get back at them. And this is what Jesus is pulling out. You've heard it said this, but this, this is not in relation to personal matters. This is not um, taking an eye for an eye just because someone's committed a fault um, toward you. You can find it where originally talks about that in Deuteronomy 19, 20, 21. We won't turn there, but you can write that down if you want. Deuteronomy 19, 20, and 21. So Jesus was speaking of to his disciples here in Matthew 5. If you have heard it been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, by saying to you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. See, it goes on, talks about he that sues you, those that are compelling you to go a mile, um, to do some work for them, um, whether it's to deliver a message, let's go to. It's talking about personal matters. In Romans, the Bible talks about how the government beareth the sword not in vain. That it is the government's responsibility at times to bring out the death penalty. But it's not for us to take it into our own hands unless it's in self-defense. And we'll, we'll get, to, to get to there in a little bit. But Jesus, what Jesus is pointing out here is that we're not to have a spirit of vengeance, that we're not to try to have revenge in all matters. This, is, this deals only with matters of personal retaliation. I would hope that you would hope yourself, you know what, we don't always see this, but if we were to be attacked from overseas onto our land, from ISIS, from any other terrorist group, or any war, that our country wouldn't just sit here and go, you know what, we're just turning the other cheek. Come take us if you want. I don't think any of us would want that. You know, even the people that say being in the military is wrong, they appreciate the freedoms of having that military. But this deals specifically here with personal retaliation, not criminal offenses or acts of military aggression. Also notice here, Jesus specifically mentioned the right cheek. The right cheek, Luke mentions it, it's the one cheek, but still meaning the proper cheek, meaning the right cheek. That you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Azariah, are you awake enough? You want to be my volunteer? You don't want to come up? You don't? You sure? You want me to come down? And then you come up? All right, I need a volunteer. Who, who would like to be a volunteer? All right. Oh, I don't know if I want someone bigger than me. <laughs> That's why I was picking on the kid. But okay. Okay, the majority of people are right-handed. 85 to 90% of people. And so if you were right-handed and you were to hit somebody, where are you hitting them at? On the left cheek. Okay? This is his left side. This is my right, but it ends up being his left. And so that would, Jesus isn't saying, if someone hurts you, just stay there and lay on the ground. He's not saying you cannot defend yourself. Now, sometimes it may be wise not to. Sometimes there's other things you, you could do. Um, but to hit on the left hand would either, or on the right cheek would either mean they would use their left hand, which would be considered their unclean hand. This is the hand they would usually use to wipe themselves or something like of that nature. 
and they wouldn't necessarily have the same kind of washing abilities right away. And or it would be with the right hand and it would be a back slap and stuff. Not a hiss, not on the front palm, but a back slap. And this is what Jesus is referring to is that if someone hit thee on the on the right cheek, that is is it, it, it or it's not a fight that's trying to start, but it's rather more of an insult in the Jewish custom and culture. Thank you, brother. Glad you didn't hit me back. Amen. That's good. You turned the other cheek. But Jewish custom taught that it was a double insult to strike someone with the back of the hand rather than the front of the palm. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, to strike person on the right cheek implied giving someone the back of the hand from a right-hand person. And it was not so much to hurt the person, but rather serve as an insult that is here in mind. Because it was a symbolic way of insulting a person's honor. And you could look it up. You could do the research. You know, I heard this at one time. And I was like, you know, is he making that up? Did some research. And the back slap on the right cheek was considered an insult. It wasn't considered necessarily a fight of aggression. Sometimes um, teachers would maybe do it to their students as an insult. Uh, um, some, sometimes a chief would um, do it um, to those under them. Um, a cab driver was complaining to a woman passenger um, one time and said, this 15-cent tip is an insult. Was he injured? No. But it was, he said it was an insult to be given a 15-cent tip. And the woman said, oh, how much should the tip be? She said, another 15 cents at least, said the cab driver. And she said, dear fellow, I wouldn't dream of insulting you twice. <laughs> In the book, Cowboy Boots in Darkest Africa, Bill Rice, who has the Bill, the Bill Rice Ranch um, in Oklahoma, um, this, like in the 50s, 60s, he wrote of when he went on a missions trip there, and he met a group of seven warriors. One thing he didn't know is that these seven men just got done killing a group of Dutch workers. Just fresh. Oh, killed them, and now they're approaching him. And as they approach him, their leader tried to stab Dr. Rice with, with his spear. Well, despair ended up getting on his cowboy buckle and didn't end up penetrating. And, and, and then what he ended up doing was he ended up slapping him with the back of his hand out of reaction. And all of a sudden, the people dropped drop his spear and the men took off running. They left. And he was kind of wondering, wow, what happened? There's seven men, there's just a few of us, and I just slapped them. And he ended up finding out was that a backslap is something that their chief would often do when they were being punished, when they were in trouble. When they weren't doing something right, or the chief was mad at them, or they were being rebuked, the chief would backslap them. And so these seven warriors thought this must have been some man of importance, that he must have been some kind of leader because he backslapped them. And it was insult. It didn't overly injure them, but they took off running. When Jesus said, you turn the other cheek, he was not talking about responding to an injury. He wasn't saying, don't ever defend yourself if someone tries to harm you. What he was saying is that you don't need to respond to an insult. Someone insults you, so be it. Let it go. Remember again, Jesus told his disciples to get swords for self-defense. Exodus 22.2 says, If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall, be no, shall no blood be shed for him. Come out of a thief is breaking in your house at night, and you don't know what's going on, and you end up hitting him that he dies, there shall be no blood shed for you. That, that you, you don't need to die because you killed him. It then talks about if, if there's a thief and then you kill him, then you are 
to die. Because life is more important than a theft. And it talks about, no, what should happen? They need to restore unto them and give them extra. But in the daylight, you know what? You know what's going on. You caught them stealing. But at nighttime, if someone's breaking up in your home, you don't know what's going on. And so it says if they be smitten, that they die, that, you know what? You're innocent. In the United States, we have the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. And just about every place that allows carrying of weapons sees a decrease in crime rate, not an increase, as the liberal media would want you to know. The places where guns are banned are the dangerous places. It is right and proper to defend your family and home. Now, this does not mean that we must always defend ourselves when attacked. Now, a pastor friend of mine mentioned in this book that he knew a pastor who went to um, visit a man. He went to go do a visit, and then the man started talking to him, and then the man just punched the pastor in the face. The pastor got up, walked away, and didn't say a word. And then, and then that man started bragging all around town. You know what? That preacher is so weak. He's a wimp. You know what? He, he came to my house. I just punched him, and, and he went away and never came back. You know what? Do that if that happens to do you. That's kind of saying. And then someone overheard it and said, you know that? What was pastor's name? And he told him. And he said, that pastor... It's a gold glove boxing champion. See, you lucked out. He could have knocked you cold. You know what? It was probably very wise for that pastor not to retaliate. Just to walk away. He could have defended himself. But he probably didn't prefer the media coverage of pastor beat up a man he was visiting. Okay? So, just because we can defend ourselves doesn't mean we always need to. And so, it takes discernment to know when and stuff. And we don't fight back when we're being reproached because of our faith. When we're being reproached for the name of Christ. Okay, you know, if a Muslim's attacking you because you're a Christian, you know what, you ought to be trying to give them the gospel. But if there's no time for that, they're just coming in your house and trying to kill your family... You know what? Defend yourself. Defend your family. But when you know it's based on your faith, turn you First Peter, First Peter four. First Peter four in verse fourteen says, "If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified." But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. You know what? Be blameless. Live for Christ. Don't let these other things be named or be attached to you. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Now, it is often right to correct false statements made by those who verbally attack you. If someone falsely attacks your moral character, there may be times where you ignore it. And there may be times where it is expedient for you to speak up. You don't need to attack them when you, when you correct them, though. So understand, if someone's attacking you, say someone is accusing you of having an affair, and it is not true. At all. You know, at first you might ignore it. You know, this person just hates you. you they, they hate your guts. They're trying to destroy you. You're not worried about it. But then, you know, say it gets out in the community. People start to wonder, start to question. Then it may be a good time to speak up and make it clear that no, this never happened and, and, and defend your honor, defend your case. And um, let, let them know. So there's a time to sometimes speak up, and there's a time where you just ignore it. 
And you know what I mean? So if it's coming from someone that's always spreading lies, people aren't going to believe it. No need to get in attack mode when you defend yourself. No need to try to start pointing out their failings, um, trying to point out where they've done wrong, because they're trying to falsely accuse you. Proverbs 26.4. Go ahead and turn there. Proverbs 26.4. When the Pharisees questioned Jesus' character, at times he would correct their false statements and explain his motives. But you notice he never took revenge. Now, sometimes he called them out for their corruption. But he never took revenge just because of some of their words. Proverbs 26, 4 to 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. So here it says, answer not a fool according to his folly. You know, skeptics will bring this verse out and the next verse. They'll usually pair it off like they're separate parts in the Bible. But um, they'll then read the next part. It says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. And people, skeptics will try to say, look, the Bible contradicts. It says, answer a fool, and it says, answer not a fool over here. They don't tell you this. You know what? They're right next to each other. You know what? There's a different meaning that is attached. It's not in a contradiction. It's a, they try and make it out to be. But there are appropriate times to answer a fool, and there are times to ignore a fool. And when you see it says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be likened to him, it's speaking more in an emotional fashion. You know what? Don't, don't, don't respond back emotionally, because you're going to end up being just like them. Don't get in a battle of words for them, because you're going to look just as foolish as them. But then answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. This is still one of more a factual issue. Facts are a powerful response to falsehoods to people who care about the truth. Some people do not, and answering them is often unproductive. So there's times to answer a fool, and there's times when not to answer a fool. There's times to respond when you're being attacked verbally, and there's times where you just ignore it. You just let it go. They say, it is wrong to fight back out of a heart of revenge. If your purpose is to correct false statements and to protect your good name, it is proper to respond. However, if your response is to seek revenge against someone who said something about you, then that is wrong. Well, if someone is insulting you, turn the other cheek. Slap, a back slap on your right cheek is an insult. And so if someone is insulting you, you know what? Pay it no attention. You don't need to fight back, and you definitely don't need to take revenge against them. If they're trying to point at your faults, you don't need to start pointing at their faults. Romans 12, 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And so you just leave that up to the Lord. Revenge you leave to the Lord. There is nothing wrong with protecting your family or nation. In the Old Testament, there's oftentimes where fathers are teaching their sons how to defend the family. It's the right thing to do. There's nothing wrong with protecting your reputation against false attacks, but we must have the discernment and power of of restraint to not react to insults. You see, Jesus going to the cross. He did not answer back to all the attacks. He was fulfilling the purpose he came to do. When you are mocked, ridiculed, made fun of, you could take it in silence. The problem is that sometimes we get more worried about insults than we actually do about getting injured. You know, uh, I've heard this kind of story many times, where, and that's why sometimes pastors are trying to be careful. We know that sometimes, like, say, for a work day, or say, um, this story is about a church that they were a new church, and then after several years, they were getting their first church building. There was one man that worked on it tirelessly. 
And there were a lot of people that helped. A lot of people that got involved and served in that capacity. The one guy was hired and, and being a help, and he was going to the church. And the pastor one day just wanted to come in and, talk, and praise and give thanks to the church family, to thank the church members for their service. And he started naming off some names, like saying, Oh, man, you know what, Rick? Man, Rick did this project. He's telling me don't set him up. He doesn't want me to be, have him do a project. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I'm like saying, like, hey, Rick, man, Rick, Rick took care of this project. Oh, Norma was painting the room. Oh, um, Rick's helping work on the pastor's vehicle um, while trying to get other work done or whatever it may be. And, like, just kind of mentioning different people's names. Well, the one guy that did the most effort, the pastor forgot his name. He, he, he didn't mention it. it. It slipped through the pastor's mind. It wasn't intentional. It was an accident. But that man got so bitter, got so upset, that man, I've been putting in more hours than anyone else, and my name doesn't get mentioned. Man, I'm not going to his church anymore. And he quit, he quit, he quit coming. He was never injured, but he felt insulted. That's why pastors sometimes are careful about mentioning names from the pulpit. He doesn't want to insult anybody. Sometimes I still mention names anyways and just pray and hope that we're mature enough that we won't get insulted that way. Amen? Now that might be taken as an insult because pastor saying, oh, I might not be mature if I get upset. Pastors can't ever win. It's just the way it is. That's why it's called a suffering occupation. <laughs> but it is Christ-like to be willing to be insulted, to suffer wrongfully, to maintain a good testimony. But people often will lose their testimony when they get angry, when they were falsely attacked. Someone's falsely attacked. The person gets angry, they respond, and now they lose their credibility because of the way they reacted. People start thinking, man, maybe that person is guilty. Sometimes people will defend themselves so tenaciously about trivial matters that don't really even matter. They were innocent, but they blew their credibility by their temper. And so, you know, you need to use discernment when to answer for when to answer accusations, when not to when to turn the other cheek. You need to protect your family. Protect your family. Don't think that Christians are supposed to just be weak and not ever defend their family or defend others. But when we are personally insulted, no, turn the other cheek. Blow it off. People say hurtful words to you. Don't let it stick. Let it just bounce off. Don't, 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 don't return the insult. You know, if say somebody's trying to help you, um, say, say with parenting maybe, and someone says, says, hey, you know what, your child was maybe misbehaving a little bit. Maybe he was crawling all under the seats and stuff. Good job for not doing that today, amen? <laughs> Sometimes secret is having children alone by themselves. When they get with others, other good kids, sometimes not so good things happen. But like sometimes, you know what a parent does? Like if, say, someone's just trying to mention, someone's trying to genuinely be helpful to someone. That parent feels insulted and they fight back and go, Well, I saw your kids doing this. You know what? Don't respond when you feel insulted. They probably weren't trying to insult you at all. And you know what? Don't, don't get so worked up and think, man, they're so hypocritical. Why? Man, they got problems with their kids in this area, and they get upset with me because of this. You know, we're supposed to help each other. You know, and I get angry. And you know what? Sometimes that's where it's apparent. Sometimes it's just good to keep our mouth shut, too, and not say anything to anybody. You know what? They're growing, too, and they're learning. But sometimes people want help, too. And sometimes you don't know when they want and when they don't. So you know what? People get offended. But you know what? Don't take insults so personally. Turn 
the other cheek. Have humility. We'll close with these two passages. 1 Peter 3.15. Go ahead and turn there. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks of you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed to falsely accuse their good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And Romans 12:21 says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Sometimes people will do things to mean evil to you. You know, if your family's in jeopardy, your family's in danger, you may need to protect them. If your honor's in question, your um, reputation, then there may be times where you speak up, where you give an answer, you give a defense. But when it's just an insult, turn the other cheek. We may not be doing the backslapping like they did back then. But when you feel insulted, just turn the other cheek. Just move on. No need to get all bent out of shape over it. And we won't worry about having an invitation this morning. But, you know, you just seek the Lord and help. And Lord, if you're a person that's easily offended, you know, ask the Lord. Lord, help me not to be so easily offended. Help me not to feel insulted all the time over little things. You know, sometimes things are said from one person to another person and it gets back to you. And sometimes it was gossip, slander. You know what? Don't let it bother you. Now you may come and talk to them and say and straighten things out. But don't get revengeful. But sometimes when things transfer from one person to another person, it comes across way differently than, it, than what you thought. So if you feel insulted, turn the other cheek. Turning the other cheek does not mean you don't take care of your family, that you don't defend your country, your nation. It's one of those things that aren't really so that sometimes Christians teach on. We'll be having another one of these next week. God bless you. Shake hands. Fellowship. Be friendly.